Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Natasha Wimmer. She is the winner of the Penn Translation Prize and has translated some of the greatest works of literature of the past century, including Roberto Bolaño's Savage Detectives and 2666 and works by Mario Vargas Llosa and Marcos Gerald Torrente. Her latest translation is Cowboy Graves by Roberto Bolaño, a collection of three novellas, which is published by our friends at Penguin Press. Natasha, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. It is an honor to have you here. And first things first, Natasha, I want to talk to you about your work as a translator. It has been said that the first job of a translator is to disappear, and you do that job so well. I, I always feel like I am reading Roberto Bolaño's words, for example, but you have done that job so well that you have become sort of a rock star in the translator world. I'm sure you know this, or perhaps you don't, but there are readers out there who are begging to read works of literature translated by you um, and no one else. I want to ask you about your decision to become a translator. You worked at Publishers Weekly, which is about as adjacent to the publishing industry as a person can be. Uh, how did you, Natasha Wimmer, end up at Publishers Weekly, and how then did you transition from being an employee at Publishers Weekly to being a full-time translator, mostly a full-time translator of the works of Roberto Bolaño? Um, yes, thank you so much for the kind words. Um, I actually worked in publishing before I worked at Publishers Weekly. I was at Ferris, Strauss, and Giroux, uh, and that was actually where I got my start as a translator. I was working on um, commissioning translations with the editor-in-chief, Jonathan Galassi, and so I would read books uh, on submission, and I would review sample translations, and um, the book uh, Dirty Havana Trilogy by the Cuban writer Pedro Juan Gutierrez came over my desk and um, I took a stab at coming up with a sample translation myself and sort of got in through the back door that way. Um, so I had actually already started as a translator before I got the job at Publishers Weekly. That was after I left FSG. Um, but uh, Publishers Weekly was, was great because, you know, as I'm sure you know, you just see piles and piles of books every day, um, and so to get that kind of uh, that kind of perspective on um, on what was out there was really valuable. Um, and at the same time, I actually was also working as the book review editor for the American Scholar, which is a small journal, and I was commissioning book reviews, so I was sort of seeing all angles um, of the book world. Right. Thank you, Natasha. And I want to ask you about the experience of translating Roberto Bolaño's two mammoth novels, The Savage Detectives and 2666. First, I will ask about The Savage Detectives. Roberto Bolaño was a mostly unknown writer in the United States before the publication of this novel. Were you aware when you were working on it that you were working on something special? You know, I had not heard of Bolaño before I was asked to write a report on The Savage Detectives for Ferris, Strauss, and Giroux. Um, but I was so blown away by the book when I read it. I still remember, you know, sitting at some cafe with a friend and having the book in my bag uh, and saying, this book is, you know, better than anything I've read in Spanish or English for so many years. Um, so it was really clear to me from the beginning that it was an important book. Um, 
I guess the the more surprising book for me was twenty six sixty six. I thought that that would be a harder um, a harder sell to American readers in particular, just because it is a really difficult. Um, mm. It is a difficult book, and so is the Savage Detectives, but the, in, in its way. But the Savage Detectives is, you know, it's first person, um, and it's got these really compelling protagonists who the writer, the reader, identifies with. Um, so, uh, its appeal was more immediate to me. Yeah, when twenty six sixty six came out, I was managing a bookstore in San Francisco, and um, there were people lined up just waiting for the book on release day, which I had only really experienced prior to that for like Harry Potter in the book world, I guess, or, you know, like albums, you know, by people's favorite bands and things of that nature. Yeah, so, pretty crazy for a translation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to ask when you were translating, what is the process? Do you read the novel first and then go back and begin your translation with an idea of the entirety of the work in mind, or do you chisel away at it piecemeal from the beginning or something else? Sort of both. I mean, I usually have read um, the entire book from the beginning. Uh, I know that there are translators who have said that they prefer to come to it fresh and, you know, experience it, the book in the same way that a reader might experience it, being surprised, you know. Um, I don't think that I come to it usually with any, you know, large um, programmatic preconceived ideas about how I want to approach it. Um, usually those develop in the course of translating. And, you know, I do a pretty quick first draft and then I go back and I do a slower second draft. And I think it's in the second draft that those, you know, I get some ideas in the first draft and then in the second draft, that's when they really crystallize. And, but then, you know, there's in the third and the fourth draft, there are always big changes, you know, there is always a, a big change or two that I'm making or um, considering. Absolutely. Thank you, uh, Natasha. I want to return for a moment to 2666 after the Savage Detectives. Um, again, this is, in my opinion, one of the greatest novels to be published in my lifetime. Uh, was there a different feeling or momentum towards translating 2666 than there was for the Savage Detectives after the Savage Detectives had gained so much acclaim? You know what there might have been? I don't remember it that way now. I mm -hmm. actually, um, the Savage, the 2666 was actually an easier novel for me to translate than The Savage Detectives. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, partly just because it was the second one. This, the Savage Detectives was the first I translated. Mm -hmm. um, but also because it's not first person, because it's third person and it's, the perspective is more omniscient. It's more cerebral, um, and it's it's less um, it's less colloquial, and all of those things make it easier for the translator, I, or at least for me as a translator. I rhetorical prose is easier to translate than um, than very sort of colloquial, um, slangy prose. Uh, so so in that sense, it was easier, and I and, and in some ways I I, I think it's easier to. Um, make make it succeed in English when you're translating a text like that. Um, there's less there's less friction um, in bringing it over. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Natasha. And um, what was the first translation that you worked on after these books by Bolaño, and how did it feel to be working with the words of a different author? That's a good question, and now I'm trying to remember what it was. I mean, in, in the middle of the Bologna books, I translated a short little book by Gabriel Zaid, who's a Mexican essayist and poet, called So Many Books. Uh, and that was a nonfiction, a collection of short essays on reading and books and this idea that they're, you know, how do, how do we deal with um, uh, the fact that there are just so many books out there? 
Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a perfect book to translate in the middle of, of the Bolognos, which are so, you know, which are, uh, um, you know, Bologna was such a reader and was so, uh, you know, and those books are sort of compendiums of books themselves. So um, it was, it was, a, it was a nice little excursion. Um, let's see, after, I guess Giral Torrente might have been the next, the one after that. Um, and uh, that was a memoir called Fathers and Sons, another nonfiction book, but, you know, reads like fiction more than does Aid. Um, and that was, you know, that was an interesting project because I had never translated a memoir before. And you, uh, I mean, of course, you always want to be faithful to the work that you're translating, but with a memoir, you feel it even more acutely, especially because um, the subject matter here is, was sensitive. The writer, Marco Giral Torrente, was writing about his relationship with his father, his very contentious relationship with his father. Um, and it's very psychologically convoluted and, and very, Girard Torrente is very precise, like, is a very precise writer in emotional terms. He's, you know, he it really matters to him um, getting these shades of nuance. Uh, and so I was very conscious of that. And we had some very extensive back and forth. And so that was something different, too, because, of course, Bolaño, you know, he died the year that I first read Savage Detective. So I never had the chance to talk to him or meet him or ask him any questions. And so having that kind of intense relationship with a writer while I was in the process of translating was was something new. I bet. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Natasha. Listeners, we're going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Natasha Wimmer. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story. One that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with award-winning translator and one of my literary heroes, Natasha Wimmer. Her latest work is a translation of Cowboy Graves by Roberto Bolaño, which is published by our friends at Penguin Press. Natasha, let's talk about Cowboy Graves. Uh, when were these novellas, as they are being called, originally published, and when was the decision made to publish them in the United States? So they were originally published according to um, the note from um, the the notes, I believe it's Valerie Miles, um, in the text, in at different times in Bologna's career, the, uh, I think that Cowboy Great, no, Fatherland was the first, I believe it was between 1993 and 1995, and then it's, it's, you know, it's the three novellas, and then Cowboy Graves was a little bit later, maybe 1995, and then French Comedy of Horrors was um, towards the end of Bologna's life, around 2003, so it's, they kind of bookend Bologna's most productive years he was um, most of his the books that we that we read today were written between 1995 and 2003 so you know the two the two, Fatherland and Cowboy Graves were from the beginning of that period and uh, French Comedy of Horrors was from the end um, you know as to the decision of when it was you know when it was decided to publish them in the United States I'm not 
sure about that. I haven't really been involved in the publishing process. And I know, you know, of course, they came out in Spain first. Um, and I know Valerie Miles has done a lot of work with the archive and um, has been very involved in that sort of decision making. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Thank you. And I'm wondering, Natasha, what is your opinion of Bolaño's writing as it matured from his earliest writings to his last? To start the conversation, uh, I want to allude to a passage in the story Cowboy Graves where we see the narrator, Arturo Bolano, talking about a story he wrote where aliens that look remarkably like ants invade a tobacco farm in West Virginia. Uh, with that passage in mind, uh, I will repeat the question. How do you, as his translator, see Bolaño's writing progressing and or maturing from his earliest works to his latest? Well, it's interesting. I mean, you know, of course, that's a little snippet of science fiction in the middle of a story that has nothing to do with science fiction. And Bolaño loved to just, you know, pile his stories on top of stories. That's one of the great things uh, about him as a writer. Um, you know, I think it's hard to get a sense of his progression as a writer, partly because his, you know, his production was so condensed, you know, which is eight years. Um, and partly because he, you know, hops back and forth from genre to genre. I mean, you know, some of his very earliest writings were, you know, he began as a poet. So his very earliest writings are much denser, um, like um, um, Antwerp, which was, you know, uh, the earliest novel of his that I translated. Um, it's more like a prose poem almost than a work of fiction. Mm -hmm. um, and... Um, and then, you know, a novel like Third Reich, um, and now I'm forgetting exactly where that came in the chronology, but it's, you know, sort of the opposite of Antwerp. It's much, you know, the, the, the prose is almost banal. It's, you know, it's very transparent. Um, and I think that the range, Bologna's range is, is kind of incredible. But then you see a novel like 2666, where he really uses both, um, both kinds of language. So you have these very dense, lyrical, opaque passages, and then you have these very kind of, um, um, you know, transparent and almost simple, sort of deceptively simple parts. And I think it's the juxtaposition of those two kinds of writing that make that make his best work so successful. And I think that he sort of plays around with both over the course of his career, and the balance between them is always shifting. Um, at least that's how I see it. Yeah, thank you so much, Natasha. Definitely a progression in tone, maybe similar to Cormac McCarthy's. Um, the second story in this collection brought up memories of recent events, specifically the solar eclipse that happened a couple years ago. Uh, this story begins with the viewing of a solar eclipse in a diner. And when the narrator walks home afterwards, a public phone begins to ring and he, the narrator, picks it up. Uh, an urgent request for travel to Paris and a story about young folks moving into and sort of living in the sewers underneath of Paris transpires. Like the alien ant farm of the first story, I find this to be sort of a fantastically absurd turn of events, very postmodern. Uh, my question for you, Natasha, is do you think solar eclipses necessitate a period of strangeness immediately after? I can't help but notice where we are in the world right now after the most recent eclipse, which occurred, I believe, in late 2017. You know, um, I feel that I'm not really qualified to, to uh, answer that exactly. And um, I guess I'm not inclined toward that that, uh, that ex explanation, I, myself being a sort of pragmatic type. Um, but I do think that that story, French Comedy of Horrors, really encapsulates um, 
what I love so much about Bolaño's writing and what, in particular, um, the kind of his his attitude towards the toward literature, um, you know, because here's this young man in the story just walking along the street, the, the street and he gets a call on a payphone from uh, this mysterious surrealist organization of writers in uh, in Paris and and it just gives there, there's a sort of queasiness and and um, uh, and uh, sort of glamour and and fascination and and but also sort of absurdity of the, the whole literary pursuit is sort of encapsulated in that phone call uh you know this idea that that mysterious great you know grand and um uh incredible things will happen to you if you if you uh if you give yourself to literature but at the same time this the sense that it can't possibly be real and that it's you know uh and that it's all it's all a dream um so yeah, I think it's a great story. Yeah, and I want to build off of this a little bit by asking you about themes in Bolaño's work. You alluded to this a little bit earlier. Um, and maybe try to wrap our heads around why Roberto Bolaño took hold here in the United States in the literary scene. It seems to me that amongst many other things, but perhaps more than anything, Bolaño's work is about the love of reading and writing. Most of his protagonists see literature, and that is not only literature with a capital L, but literature with a capital literature, I think, as a primary concern in their lives and the thing that drives purpose and meaning not only for themselves, but for the entire world around them. Uh, can you talk about this theme, maybe the history of this type of theme, if you like, and why you think it has gripped so many readers? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, readers especially young readers gravitate toward Bolaño because they're looking for meaning in literature in the same way that Bolaño was. And Bolaño really captures the excitement um, of feeling that you found sort of a kindred spirit in the writers um, you discover. And this sounds almost that it's a secret club, um, you know, literally that it's a secret club in many of his books. You know, writers are joining these, these secret organizations and, um, uh, and remind me of the the, broad, the broader question of the books books in in Bologna or reading. Well, you know another interesting thing um, about Bologna. And I think maybe I touched on this already was that um, Bologna felt that reading was really more important than writing, and that readers were at least as important as writers. I mean, I, I think that he uh, he borrows that from Borges, um, who also felt that the you know. Uh, the reader's understanding of the text was was as important as the writer's intention, um, uh, and I, th I think that you know, Borges obviously was, was a great influence on Bologna, and that's just one of the ways. Um, yeah, ab absolutely. Um, a little bit along similar lines to that question, there are a lot of connections in Bologna's novels and stories, protagonists, or at least character names, for example. Uh, do you keep all of these themes and connections in mind from one work to the next? And do you read and or consider Bolaño's other works, such as the ones translated into English by Chris Andrews, for example, when working on your own translations? You know, it is, I, I do consider the fact that, um, I, I think often about the fact that all of his books are sort of part of a continuum and they're all sort of, um, um, built on top of each other in a sense, but not, not in a chronological or in a coherent sort of way, but in a sort of circular way, in which everything mm -hmm. sort of replicates itself. And it's kind of like being in a dream where you meet a character who has one name 
and then all of a sudden, you know, there's the same character, but he's actually a different character and he's got a different name. And, um, you know, I hadn't read um, Cowboy Graves. I actually translated Cowboy Graves two years ago, so I was looking back at it um, before we talked today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sort of was, was, and one of the questions I was asking myself was, you know, well, um, what connections are there here to the previous Bologna works um, or other Bologna works? And it's a question that you can't really answer. There are just so many connections. I mean, every sentence, every image seems to conjure up some other image from another Bologna work. And I think that that's one of the things that's so interesting about Bologna's fiction. And it was something that was intentional. I mean, Bologna had this idea of the total novel, um, you know, the idea that his entire work was one big novel. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's part of his genius that you feel that you're immersing yourself in this world, no matter what you're reading. Um, yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Natasha. And finally, I want to ask you if you can tell us about what you are working on next, whether related to Bologna or not specifically. I am curious about the novel Diorama, uh, but I would like to hear about anything you are working on. You know, I don't, I do not have any more Bologna on the docket. Um, I'm not sure what's coming up Bologna-wise. I am now working on a novel by Alvaro Alvaro Enrique called um, Now I Surrender and That Is All set in the 19th century, mostly. Um, Some bits in the 21st century, too. Um, And and also a couple of books by Nona Fernandez, a Chilean writer, um, one of which came out a little while ago, Space Invaders, and one of which is about to come out now. Um, um, uh, Why am I blanking on the title? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, The Twilight Zone, thank you. and those are sort of essayistic, semi-fictional um, works about the Pinochet, post-Pinochet era in Chile. And they're fascinating books. Nice. I look forward to reading those. Uh, thank you so much, Natasha. And thank you so much for your work. When I see your name on a work of translation, it automatically gets my stamp of approval, and I know that is going to be a work of quality. Listeners, I've been speaking with Natasha Wimmer, the translator of Cowboy Graves, the new collection by Roberto Bolaño, which is published by our friends at Penguin Press. Natasha, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Once again, I would like to thank Natasha Wimmer for joining me. Copies of Cowboy Graves can be ordered at www.quellridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Booking.